hey, I just finished reading First Enoch, and I really want to talk about it. So do you want to have that conversation? Dude, why are you always coming with this weird stuff? It's not in the Bible for a reason. Just get out of here. That white bull who had become a man came out of that vessel and the three bulls with him. And one of those three bulls was white like that bull. And one of them was red like blood. And one of them was black. And that white bull departed from them. And they began to beget wild beasts and birds so that there arose from them every kind of species, lions, leopards, wolves, dogs, hyenas, wild boars, foxes, conies, pigs, falcons, vultures, kites, eagles, and ravens. But among them a white bull was born, and they began to bite one another. But that white bull which was born among them begat a wild ass, and a white bull with it, and the wild asses increased. But that bull which was born from it begat a black wild boar, and a white ram of the flock. And that wild boar begat many boars, and that ram begat twelve sheep. When those twelve sheep had grown up, they handed over one of themselves to the wild asses, and those wild asses in turn handed that sheep over to the wolves, and that sheep grew up in the midst of the wolves. And the ram led forth the eleven sheep to dwell with it, and to pasture with it in the midst of the wolves and they multiplied and became many flocks of sheep. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Yurdukh. And that was a lot of wild donkey talk. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is the animal apocalypse. If you couldn't tell already. Yeah, if you couldn't tell already. And, and the reason why we started off this way is because uh, listening to that, really what we're hoping is if you take your, your Bible and you open up Genesis, and you listen to that again, you'll start to capture what was actually being said here. Think about beginning with someone who comes out of a vessel mm-hmm. and moving on from there. Yeah, arkish, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I also kind of thought it would be fun to start it and people go, wait, did I start the episode in the middle of the episode? Like, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> the editing's gone bad. Yeah. Like, oh man, the upload. Like, they completely just skipped the first half of the episode. Uh, so we're recording the animal apocalypse. <laughs> <Sorry>. and <laughs> I wonder how many people started listening yeah. and they like tried to scrub back to the beginning of the episode yeah. and it was still just me talking yeah. like, wait, what happened? What's hopefully hopefully you're actually here and you, you, you waited those. Yeah. If you got to this point, you understand what's happening. Yeah. Uh, but we're recording. We're doing one of our very rare late night podcast recording after hours. So who knows what's going to happen? Really, who knows because what's going to happen? Because we've already been here for an hour. I chugged a monster. Mm-hmm. And we've already talked about a bunch of wild things. We got all the heresy <laughs> out of the way. Now we just get to talk about Enoch. Yeah. Now we- <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a weird yeah, sentence. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, but we're here. We're at the church offices uh, because there are, our recording studio area is getting renovated at the church. And our hopefully permanent recording area hasn't been finished yet. Yeah, more to come on that. More to come on that. But yeah, so we're in here. So if you hear like uh, noises, sirens, we're not getting mugged or robbed. That's just the neighborhood around us. If you hear it, it means that our editing guy didn't do a good job. (laughs) I can only do so much. I'm not a miracle worker. But let's get into this. We already did. Yeah. We started off into it. So you want to do the overview structure first, and then we'll get into some of the picking apart things? Yeah. So like you said, it is the animal apocalypse, um, which really we're looking at what uh, chapters, is it 83 through 90? Mm-hmm. Book four. Book four. Of the book of Enoch. Because again, these are different books that have gotten compiled together. So we're into book four, animal apocalypse. And really looking at this, it's kind of like a history book. Yeah. Which we hinted at with that beginning part. We're just saying, yes, it was a bunch of animals. But if you could understand Genesis a little bit, hopefully you were understanding that it was telegraphing something there. Yeah, well, there's two visions. So the, yes, yeah, the animal true. apocalypse actually starts at 85. 
but we're going to cover 83 and 84, which is vision number one. That's what got me. Yeah. That's why I stumbled and I was like, it starts at 83 because I yeah. had my notes open and it was looking at 85, which yeah, is the 85. animal part. Yeah, because yeah. I have a whole like, uh, I've got a whole thing when we get to 85 about what the term apocalypse. You know what? I'm just going to do it now. Do it? It's after hours. I think when you're hearing animal apocalypse, uh, we're not talking about the massacre of animal life or like this. Heavy metal band? Yeah, heavy metal band that we're going to start. Um, because we've gotten, we don't understand the word apocalypse. We think of it and our first mind goes to, our first thought goes to end of times. Second uh, thought is that Mel Gibson movie. Second is that horrible Mel Gibson movie. Horrible? <laughs> yeah, that was not fun. I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to defend it. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. Uh, but yeah, it's that. It's end times. We think of like a Mad Max apocalyptic times of, of uh, people running around with uh, football shoulder pads on and spikes everywhere type things. And really, that's not what apocalypse means. Uh, we have to remember that the word apocalypse means uh, revelation or disclosure. And revelation... Again, because even that word has become like, oh, the revelation yeah, yeah. means what the apocalypse means. And it just flips back and forth. A revealing of, an unveiling mm -hmm. of. It's peeling back the curtain to show you what's behind, so to speak. Yeah, so it's, it's uh, basically something that's unknown becoming known or revealed to somebody. Just say that in the beginning, Chris. I was trying to, <laughs> but it was way in the middle of note stuff. Uh, I like the way Father Stephen DeYoung says this, and uh, you'll hear me pull from him a lot tonight because... Uh, the Eastern Orthodox got a better handle on stuff than I think some of us do, especially when it comes to this apocalyptic literature and understanding it better. I think that that's because they are so grounded in the early church history understanding of the things, mm -hmm. whereas a lot of us coming from more of a Protestant background, um, our early church history goes back to the 1500s. <laughs> Basically, know what I yeah, mean? yeah. So, you know, still 500 years ago, but they take it way back. And when you have a lot of what those early church writers were talking about, it does give a different perspective. Yeah. But go on. He says, uh, as with most apocalyptic literature, the intent here is not merely, not merely, the intent here. <laughs> after hours. <laughs> after hours. <laughs> it's just the after hours button. Yeah. Uh, the intent here is not merely to tell the history of the world by means of an allegorical fable, but to bring together both the reality of material history and happenings within the spiritual realm in one narrative. Particularly within apocalyptic literature, history is not seen as a chain of earthly causes and effects occasionally interrupted by divine intervention. Rather, the chain of cause and effect ripples through both the visible and invisible realms, with each affecting the other, and begins crossing over from one to the other in regular interactions. Uh, these events are presented in a complex allegory that depicts human beings as animals, the disobedient watchers as descending stars, and the seven archangels as white men. So this was actually his, he kind of combined uh, the animal apocalypse with their, his understanding of apocalypse literature. So I really like the way he phrased it, because a lot of times we see it as, like we said, the one way, but, you know, it's a lot more than just what we gather and understand. Even there, when you, from that quote, talking about history, mm -hmm. right? It's, you said it's not just an allegory for history. Right. And a lot of times we think, no, a revelation or apocalyptic is looking at the future, mm -hmm. which, yes, it is, because sometimes some of that's revealed. But I think that to further shape and to just reiterate that what you were saying, and as I was listening to it, my understanding of it, was, again, to take this idea of revealing. So we're looking at something historical, and there's being a revealing of something that was previously hidden, like you were saying, and a big part of what's happening there is going, look at what the divine interaction was in this situation, or look mm -hmm. at what was going on in the spiritual world, whereas, yeah, you might have seen what was going on in the natural and the physical. Now God's saying, let me reveal to you the other interactions that were happening. And I think that as we go on uh, into these visions, there's definitely something going on here, and a lot of what we're going to be talking about here, as we already said, is getting into Genesis and some of the history, but starting off in uh, chapters 83 and 84, looking at the thing of the flood. And when we're looking at the flood narrative and then going on throughout really the rest of the Old Testament, right? Yeah, it really does. Um, there is a lot more of the 
No, here's the divine interactions interweaving with the human. Because if you read Genesis 6, and we've talked about this several times because we've already gone through the Book of the Watchers and everything already through this Enoch series, but what you have is generally just like, so there's men, men were evil, judgment came down. Mm -hmm. And Enoch already is like, no, 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 there's spiritual realm, they're coming down, they're teaching men stuff, there's these Nephilim, there's all all that going on. But what we're going to see again is even more of a uh, balancing out to yeah. where it's very much like, no, 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 let's look at where the evil came from. Let's look at the judgment that's going on. It's not just what we're seeing in the physical of mm, man bad, destroy man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because even within that, uh, the Genesis narrative, it's like in those times, uh, and then there were Nephilim, and then it was like, but then me and men were evil, and all they wanted to do was evil. Mm-hmm. So it's like these two big things just get dropped. And then it jumps right into the Noah narrative of the flood. So there's a lot of like, wait, what now? What's happening? And yeah, this kind of expands it a little bit and pulls apart more of like the thought behind it that a lot of people during that time had. Which is Noah narrative of the flood. It's mm-hmm. kind of what we're drop, dropping into with 83 and 84, this yeah. first vision that Enoch gets. And this is him sitting down and he's talking to Methuselah, which I think that we were kind of hinting at that last time. That you know he was gonna he was telling Methuselah about the stuff that mm-hmm. was going that was happening, and he goes, "Look, I had two visions that happened before I got married. I'm gonna tell you about them. But this first one that happened, I know that you have some other stuff that you want to drop into it. But just to kind of say what the vision was at first, he's like, I had this frightening thing. Uh, basically, the sky was being hurled down and it fell upon the earth. And when it fell upon the earth, I saw the earth being swallowed up into a great abyss. The mountains." were suspended upon mountains, the hills sunk down upon the hills, tall trees were uprooted and thrown and sinking into the deep abyss. And a word fell into my mouth and I began crying aloud saying, the earth is being destroyed. Then my grandfather Mahalalel woke me up while I was sleeping uh, there and he said, what happened to you that you're crying aloud like this, my son? Why are you lamenting in this manner? And he tells him about the dream and he's like, whoa, okay, well, you heard from God, you're a holy man, so you got to go pray about this thing. Um, but yeah, just this dream of seeing the sky falling, which how do you talk about what that is when the sky has never fallen in this right, matter? Just right, like yeah. a flood is coming out of heaven, coming down, and he's saying it's covering up all the mountains, massive trees getting uprooted, like all of this stuff. And it's like, yeah, utter destruction coming in this vision. Terrifying. Yeah, even the placement of it is like, uh, so this was before he was married. Mm-hmm. So he gives us like a time frame in his life. This, th- that's what I kind of liked about the way this all opened up as he's talking to Methuselah. He's like, this is before I took a wife. So it's like, hey, this is before I met your mom. And then there was this interesting thing too of like uh, the first one uh, was when he was learning to write. Yeah. And I was like, that's why is that in there, right? So he's got like this time frame before he gets into everything. And uh, uh, I read it. It's in Jubilees 417. It says, and he called him Enoch. This one was the first who learned writing and knowledge and wisdom from among the sons of men, from among those who were born upon the earth, and who wrote in a book the signs of the heavens according to the order of their months, so that the sons of men might know the appointed times of the year according to their order with respect to each. Sorry, just I'm going to interject. Isn't that weird? That was from Jubilees? Mm-hmm. Isn't that weird that Jubilees is basically taking what we just talked about in the last episode? Yeah, yeah. Or he's like, yeah, remember Enoch? He wrote down all the stuff about the stars. Mm-hmm. See last episode. And See we're talking about, episode, yeah, yeah, that was like the oldest one, you know, yeah. according to this stuff. So even Jubilees is like, yeah, the guy started writing and he wrote about the stars. He was the first to learn yeah. among the men, like how to write. And yeah, he, all this destruction. And it was like, a, he cries out, the earth is destroyed. You know, like to me, when I read that, I was like, that has to be like this blood curdling cry, like to be woken up from this vision. Mm-hmm. Of seeing everything, you're seeing like, man, I've been woken up from dreams and be like, oh my gosh, where am I? Like, you know, and scared and in a well, panic. screaming yeah, for his yeah. dad. To, was his dad or his grandpa? Uh, his grandpa. They come in like, what's going on? <laughs> Mahala, hala, hala. Yeah. I got pretty close to that one. Yeah. <laughs> for not even trying. Yeah. Got for, <laughs> after hours. Uh, but then, yeah, you said he interpreted the dream and, and his prediction uh, is of the flood. Yeah. And for me, reading through this because at first again if you're not really framed right and coming out of all of the other visions that he's been having when he's talking about man the sky fell onto the earth and mountains were being uprooted and all the stuff it reminded me of i don't remember what the world is called but in the first doctor strange oh yeah he yes, goes yes. into like uh, the, the mirror world the mirror world or whatever mm-hmm. where that big masked man whatever is and just like oh no no the end of the movie 
where he keeps repeating the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah uh, Dormammu. Yeah, when yeah. he's when he's there, and just like this world where everything is like death and destroyed, mm-hmm. and like all this stuff. Like that's what it reminded me of, of just entering into something that's like that. Mm-hmm. Like I don't like I didn't immediately think like, oh, this is when it's talking about that the flood happens. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking at the destruction of the world and just like kind of when it talks about it, that's the visuals that I was getting. I'm just yeah. like, oh, what does it look like when everything is destroyed? Yeah, because he dreamed of uh, the heavens and the cosmos had collapsed into the great abyss. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot different than yeah, what that's you what see I was thinking. in everything Genesis in the abyss 7. And that whole thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Genesis, 7, uh, Genesis 7, when the flood actually happens, you don't get that like it's the cosmos and everything that's like going into the abyss. It's more of like, and then it rained. And that's for, kind of... For a long time. For a long time. And that's kind of where you're left at with it. And this is more of like uh, the cosmic side of things that mm-hmm. what's happening, it's, it's a lot bigger than what we're actually seeing. Yeah, th- I, I really do like that. Uh, I did also like from this chapter that uh, he tells him to pray because he's a believer or the idea is faithful. He's like, hey, you pray for them because uh, you're a believer uh, and pray for that there will be a remnant that will be left over. And then mm-hmm. we see that in Genesis 7.23 that, you know, that's Noah... And so he prays, and then he wrote down his prayer for the benefit of future generations. And I think that's a lot of chapter 84 is where we get into his prayer, right? Yeah, I really like that prayer. Go for it, read it. Blessed are you, O Lord, King, great and mighty in your greatness, Lord of the whole creation of the heavens, King of kings and God of the whole world, and your power and kingship and greatness abide forever and ever. And throughout all generations, your dominion and all the heavens are your throne forever, and the whole earth your footstool forever and ever. For you have made and you rule all things, and nothing is too hard for you. Wisdom does not depart from the place of your throne, nor turns away from your presence. And you know and see and hear everything, and there is nothing hidden from you. And now the messengers of your heavens are guilty of trespass. And your wrath abides on the flesh of men until the great day of judgment. And now, O God and Lord and great King, I exceedingly implore you to fulfill my prayer, to leave me a posterity on earth and not destroy all the flesh of man and make the earth without inhabitant so that there should be a continuous destruction. And now, my Lord, destroy from the earth the flesh which has aroused your wrath, but establish the flesh of righteousness and uprightness as a plant of the continuous seed and do not hide your face from the prayer of your servant, O Lord. So I like that because I just really appreciate so much in, in biblical prayer. And I, I feel like I can be too irreverent and lax and just like common in my prayers, mm-hmm. but to really just recognize God. And he comes that whole thing of just like, like even how his grandpa said, hey, you're a faithful guy. So yeah. he's coming like, hey, you are God. Everything you're doing, I see that everything that you're doing is right. Because even when he gets to the later part of the prayer, he's like, yeah, there's wickedness. And I'm even saying, come and do what you want with the wickedness. But please just hear this prayer. Is that there can be righteousness that would stay on the earth? Mm -hmm. Can you still, like, can you make sure that in everything that you're doing, because again, you're coming from this dream where everything was just destroyed, right? Your vision is everything's destroyed. And you're like, wait, God, please somehow let righteousness remain yeah somehow make that happen please hear this prayer do what you will and i understand why you're doing that but please yeah i i did enjoy the prayer i actually had on my notes read verse two and three yeah i, I like going through yours this is underlined a lot in there yeah yeah, yeah. I, I was <laughs> interested in seeing your underline yeah. keep reading keep reading don't get distracted by the underline. don't get distracted by the, what chris thinks is interesting uh but it was i really loved the the whole wording of that those first two things just the way like you're saying the way he comes up and I think we missed it a little bit too. In verse one, it says, "And and I lifted up my hands in righteousness and blessed the holy one, holy and great one." Uh, and I, I really love this uh, idea of like lifting up his hands in prayer to pray. And then uh, we see a lot of that. Maybe not a lot of it, but we see that in scripture where like. Uh, when Solomon, uh, he lifts up his hands to pray as he stood at the altar. He like mm-hmm. lifts up his hand. That's in First Kings. And Ezra, Ezra lifts up his hands after fasting. And then uh, this was cool in the Testament of Moses, which is not in our Bible. Uh, for one, there, there's a mention of lifting up hands in prayer. And then in Third Maccabees, the high priest Simon extends his hands in prayer. And then First Timothy, Paul tells Timothy that men should pray lifting up holy hands. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know why this stood out to me as much, but I just like yeah, you you went you went into that. Yeah, it was just like wait, this is like more than like 
I, I guess what you're saying, sometimes we come to God a little too common. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was more of like a God check on me of like, hey, how are you coming before me? Uh, are you lifting up holy hands in that surrender of like how you're praying to me? Are you just wanting to have that connection or are you just coming to me and praying because you're walking the dog at the moment and you feel like this is the time you should squeeze in your prayer life? I, I've found that it's not like me faking it to get more into this mm-hmm. mode, but that it's transformative. Yeah. Because when it's like, oh, this isn't how I normally would be, but it's like, I'm coming before a God who's not normal. So he deserves something that's mm-hmm. different. And really when I get into like, oh, let me use, like not to just like, oh, let me use my biblical language, but to use the things that the Bible has taught me on how we can and and should approach God, like it does something different to me to where I'm like, whoa, I feel like I'm actually experiencing something mm-hmm. different there just by putting myself into that. I think another thing you went into lifting up your hands I think that what we see when we read through the Old Testament a lot, that a lot of prayer is that people lie prostrate. Mm-hmm. We're just like, no, literally just lie down flat on the ground. Yeah, yeah. And if you're not Pentecostal, you probably haven't seen that. <laughs> <laughs> and people willingly do it, not just, you know, getting whipped with yeah. a jacket and you falling over. That's the slain part of laying on the ground, right? Where people just, no, face down on the ground and doing that. And again, between lifting up the hands and lying face down on the ground, those postures of prayer, something so important to recover that. And you look at the way Enoch is coming to God at what he's coming to God with, right? This isn't just like a, hey, God, I want to thank you for my day, my food, whatever. This is like, oh, no, calamity's coming. This is going to be bad. I need to go before God. How am I doing that? And his posture changes, it seems like, in this circumstance. And, and just like going through it, and even when you're talking about like the laying flat, on your face type thing. I really like how you said that at the beginning. We get too common. And it's like, yeah, you could pray to God everywhere and anywhere, no matter what you're doing. All true. Mm-hmm. But we've kind of commonized it too much that we took out the reverence in it. And how are we coming to him in reverence? How are we coming to him in just like full, like, I am surrendered, laying down, and this is an urgent thing in my life that I need to give to you. So I'm just going about it this way. Yeah, not to get fully into our pastoral way of looking at all this mm-hmm. stuff, right? But how you're saying we can do the praying at all times and keeping that thing. But I think that there's something so specific and different about having that prayer closet experience. Like, no, I'm setting aside mm-hmm. time. And to have that time start to be shaped by these things, like raise up your hands, lay down flat, use some of these prayers that are in the Bible and start to allow that language to shape things. And then I think that while we're just on the topic of prayer and expanding that out, and then I'll drop out. I don't know if you want to keep going with it. But even to have corporate prayer and coming and praying together with people, I think that a huge thing within like the scriptures, like that commonality and coming before God, mm-hmm. um, that's big. I think that praying by yourself is more of a recent thing. Like mm. as far as the ratio to it yeah. is like, it's never really been like, oh, by yourself. Like, mm-hmm. I think that the corporate prayer is always a big thing. And I think that um, that's also been really lost. So, yeah, I didn't know that we'd segue into, hey, let's get more intentional about prayer life. But there you go. There you go. Thanks for honing in on that one. After hours. <laughs> the other thing I, I picked up, and it was just more of a like, when he mentions nothing is too hard for you. Uh, we see that in mm-hmm. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen. Uh, Genesis eighteen fourteen, when God's talking to Sarah about having Isaac, and he's like, "Is nothing impossible for God?" And then Luke one thirty seven, the angel talking to Mary's same thing: "Is nothing impossible for God?" Uh, verse four takes us back to the watchers and how they, as Peter would say, abandoned their post. Yeah. Um, which I found Isaiah twenty four twenty one through twenty two, uh, very similar to it. It says, "On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven." Uh, in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. Uh, They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit, and they will be shut in a prison, and after many days they will be punished. So Isaiah even picking up on some of these uh, same patterns. So within that, and things that we're talking about here that still might be really new to people, and we've said it way back to the beginning of, of this series through Enoch, is what the Bible 
talks about a lot and what gets expanded through like Second Temple literature and just some of the other like, you know, teachings and writings that were going on there is a more expansive spiritual world than most people understand. And what you just read in Isaiah, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, you're going to judge those ones that basically when the devil turned and that third mm. of the angels or whatever mm-hmm. people generally think of, just like, yeah, him and the third, whenever they fell, those are going to be the ones that get judged. And there's not really a thinking beyond that to any particularness. Whereas when you're saying like, oh, there's actually kind of a bigger tie with what's going on here with these ones. Because again, there's several different times where spiritual beings had rebellions or different things that were happening. And yeah, the, the judgment is going to come upon them in the end. So it's like, was there really a difference? Are you nitpicking? It's like, just trying to understand better. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because particularities yeah. are, are there. Um, so yeah, just to kind of bring that around that maybe your thinking has been very broad in understanding of these things. And um, it's not just to say, well, Enoch says this will happen because you're bringing up Isaiah and there's other places that we can get this from as well. I think a big error we make too is we get to a verse in Isaiah like that and we read, on that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of earth on earth. And all we highlight is the kings of earth on earth. Like the host of heaven part in heaven, we're like, I don't understand that. So I'm just going to keep moving on past it, which is, uh, you know, that's that's an okay part to be at. But at some point, it's like you got to start looking at the Bible and these things that are kind of scary or don't make sense to you. You've got to start getting into and really exploring because there's more to them. There's a bigger story being told. There's a, a way huger narrative, like you were saying, with the, the spiritual realm and the things that are happening on earth. And I really like it if we do ever get to the animal apocalypse. What the animal apocalypse does is presents both in a combination, kind of like Father uh, Stephen D. Young said, that like it's this combination of both are happening interwoven together. And uh, a lot of times we get really fixated on the earth portion of what our Bible says and not so much the heavenly. Yeah, that's a good point. And when you said like the scary things is if you're coming across something in your Bible that seems scary, also just have the understanding that God is wanting you to know these things. Mm-hmm. They, even if it's scary, hey, there's some scary things in the world, right? But to come to an understanding as like to be equipped and just like there is definitely something that comes with um, knowledge and especially knowledge of things that can be scary. I mean, I think about the fact like I won't do anything with electricity. Like I'll hop on YouTube. <laughs> I'll hop on YouTube and I'll fix everything. Like yeah, yeah. the fact that I'll... I'll do my own breaks. And mm-hmm. the first time I did my own breaks, I literally just hopped on YouTube. I'm like, that's the stopping power of my car. And I was confident. I was like, yeah, I can do this. <laughs> I don't need to pay that yeah. guy to do it. Anything with electricity. I'm just like, nah, we got to yeah. call somebody. Um, but yeah, I think of Delilah's dad. He's an electrician. He has no qualms about it. He understands the thing. So mm-hmm. he knows how to navigate it. Because like, yes, this could kill you. However, here's how to do the thing. So I think that that's the thing when you're looking at scary stuff in life or scary things in the Bible is like, don't let your fear push it away to come to a better understanding than allows you how to navigate it. Because like, yeah, if there's a pitfall to avoid, you want to know how to avoid it, but you also don't just want to be avoiding everything because yeah. there's also a lot of times uh, things that we can need are pushing past some of those fears or like, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to like progress through. Yeah, I think that's a really good point and, an, and a very good example because uh, pushing past the fear is something like electricity, yeah, it's scary, uh, but it's doable, especially when you go in it with caution mm-hmm. and you respect it. Like a lot of electricians will be like, I respect what I'm working with. Yeah. So they know what they're working with and how to uh, work around it. So like even in the scary stuff of the Bible, like go into it, but go into it with caution. You know, when you're going to look up something, make sure it's, it's with caution and uh, you're finding good sources and not just uh, any Yahoo on YouTube or a podcast. Are you talking about us? <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, Wait, real quick. Um, the, the last thing that I had within this. could also be that YouTuber guy that I keep talking about, but no one knows. Our off-air conversations? Just, <laughs> there's only one? <laughs> um, Sorry, I threw you off. Yeah. Just that thing that's in verse one, I really like. And you had stopped just before getting to it, is that because you're talking about, oh, lifting up the hands. Mm-hmm. But he says, I spoke with the breath of my mouth and the tongue of flesh, which God has made for the children of the flesh, the people, so that they should speak with it. He gave them the breath and the mouth so that they should speak with it. And then he goes into that prayer, that really cool prayer of just like honoring mm-hmm. God. He's like, 
what a recognition even in that verse is like cool i went to god i've lifted up my hands in righteousness i began to pray and i use this tongue that he gave me this tongue and this breath to that when thing. i combine yeah. these things it allows me to speak and here's how i'm going to use my speech is to go and petition god in this way it's like man what a difference compared to say something in the book of james is like man that tongue it's a small fire that can start a forest fire it's a small spark that can start mm-hmm. a forest fire it's that little rudder that can just completely steer a ship and enoch just like you know what, God, you gave me this thing. I'm going to come before you and like use it. Like, that's cool. Like, here we are using our tongues, right? Just mm-hmm. like, oh, this is really easy. We're going to have a Christian podcast. So for <laughs> however long we're sitting here talking, <laughs> hopefully you know it's really God honoring. What about the rest of the time? Right. Like to keep something like that phraseology in my mind, just like God gave me this tongue. He gave me this breath. Mm-hmm. Anything that I'm speaking, just like, whoo, be careful. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I did like that. I caught that too. Uh, one of the things I caught at the end, so you went to verse one, I'm going to go to the last verse, uh, the do not hide your face. Mm-hmm. Uh, that We see that a lot in yeah, the Psalms. Yeah, see that a lot. Uh, the request not for God to hide his face, uh, it just made me think of the priestly blessing in Numbers, um, make his face shine upon you. So when, when God's face is on you, there's blessing and there's life. Uh, but when God hides his face from you, that, that would mean that there's almost like the curse or the judgment is on you, uh, in a sense. And, and I found this in, in Deuteronomy. It said, the, the Lord appeared at the tent in the pillar of a cloud, and the cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, you are going uh, to rest with your ancestors, and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me, and they will break the covenant I made with them. And in that day, I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them, and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and calamities will come on them. In that day, they will ask, Have not these disasters come on us because our God is not with us? And I will certainly hide my face in that day because of all of their wickedness in turning to other gods. So it's like this, uh, this prayer of uh, don't hide your face from us. is like, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. I don't want the judgment. And in a prayer where he's like, I just saw judgment and calamity. Uh, I don't want that. God, please don't hide your face from us. And it's a huge thing because you see that, that God's like, I'm going to because they're going to. And that's usually the, the end result of God hiding his face never is a good thing for, for people. Yeah, even in just those personal ways where people can feel like, God, where are you? Mm-hmm. And just how much that can feel like a judgment. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And I think that obviously our understandings can be limited and can be wrong to where mm-hmm. God's like, I'm not hiding myself from you. Like, yeah, what you? Yeah. But, you know, definitely even just when we're feeling that and it's not like, oh, some crazy calamity and judgment coming upon the whole earth. But just when we're just like, oh, I feel like you're not here anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm freaking out. So, yeah, when it's actually God saying, I'm going to do this, that's a. It's a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. And, and another way I've heard it too was uh, the idea that um, God hiding his face is almost uh, then like, this is what you want to go and do. I'm going to go let you do it. Uh, almost a, a kind of even uh, Pharaoh hardening his heart, where it was just like he kept hardening and hardening. And then it was like the heart was too hard that he, that he never came back or was never to, able to come out of that. Yeah. Going with that, you can kind of see to where in different times and in different ways, like God makes the covenant with Israel, right? And mm-hmm. he's like, cool, you're my bride, all this stuff, and there's all that language. But then it gets to a point where he's like, I'm issuing you a certificate of divorce. Like, you're really going to do that? All right, I'm releasing you from this thing. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm setting you off. Or when you get into Romans, it was like everybody kept going off in their own way. And God just said, all right, that's what you're doing. I'm going to give your minds over to what it is that you want to do, right? Mm-hmm. And just that giving over to what it is that we want that's outside of him, that's a scary spot. Yeah. Because when you see what follows from that, it's just like, oh, no. Yeah, because nothing ever good comes out of it. You see, like, I mean, from this, we get the flood. Mm-hmm. From the Deuteronomy thing, we get the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Like, there's destruction is the, the follow-through for that. Yeah. Uh, ready to finally jump into that animal apocalypse? Yeah. All right. There's a whole lot going on with these let's animals. see how far we could get in 20 minutes. <laughs> so what you're saying is there might be a part two yeah, yeah pretty much yeah okay ha <laughs> ha the dude here you ever have those gnarly visions and dreams that leave you scratching your head wondering if they're straight from the big guy upstairs well hang loose bro the heavenly hearing aids got your back 
with the Rad Vision and Dreams Edition. Just slap the hearing aid in your ear, dial in the God frequency, and hit up Gabriel's assistance. Boom! Suddenly those trippy visions and dreams become crystal clear, straight from the man upstairs and his heavenly crew. Imagine shredding in your dreams, catching waves of end time vibes, spotting a mega tree or seven towering mountains, witnessing epic angel battles, or even crushing through heavenly portals. When you wake up, the heavenly hearing aid would drop the knowledge bomb, giving you the lowdown on what those dreams and visions really mean. No more guessing, my dudes. And check this out, bro. It's not just about heavenly stuff. The heavenly hearing aid will also let you know if it's legit from God or just a funky side effect from those late night chili cheese fries. Say goodbye to confusion, my dude, and let the heavenly hearing aid be your ultimate guide. Don't sleep on this, bro. Grab your very own heavenly hearing aid from all rad retail spots out there. The heavenly hearing aid, helping you hear what's up in the heavens and getting you stoked on what the man upstairs is saying to you. I think to look at it, so this is the second vision, mm-hmm. right, of this this fourth. Yeah. Book. So the first vision was the flood, right? And so then this is the second vision. And in this vision, it seems to be broken down into three different eras, right? Mm-hmm. So we're looking at three different times. As I started off in the beginning of the episode, talking about like the Book of Genesis. But before we get to the Book of Genesis, going from chapters eighty-five into eighty-nine. Um, a lot of that has to do with the, that flood period, mm-hmm. right? And it's really interesting that flood period, that pre-flood period, is that a ton of this vision is given over to that versus, again, when you read through Genesis, the flood period is a few verses. Yeah. And what you have happen here is the reverse of that to where the flood period gets several chapters and then everything following that in Genesis. So basically what happens after the flood, you get the call of Abraham mm-hmm. and going from Abraham through to Joseph, that only gets five verses. Mm-hmm. So I was like, it's weird how it literally flips it around. Obviously Genesis is a lot longer than five chapters, but yeah. you see that ratio kind of flip in here. And within that, you're spending so much time there, again, revealing, oh, the judgment that's going on here. And again, that revealing, you're talking about that divine interacting with the hum- humanity and what that is. Yeah, so you get a lot of a, a small portion of creation, mm-hmm. and then, like you said, that huge chunk of the flood in, in this portion right here, and yeah, it's, it's a lot more to the flood than it is a, a lot of the other things, because yeah, I think chapter 89, which is a really long chapter, right? Uh, but it is... 89 kind of makes up for the other f- yeah, five that's in here. Yeah, but 89 is like, also there's like so much history in 89. It, like, it takes you through the whole Old Testament. Yeah, basically, right? Like... Yeah, it takes you through the whole Old Testament and then even a little bit into the the years after the Old Testament. So it, it takes you pretty far. And then we have the the third part of that is the second renewal into an open future, and that's in chapter 90 is like this kind of futuristic thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, 85, if we want to get into that, I thought was pretty fun. Yeah, go for it. All right. Uh, the first thing I, I caught, because uh, when we were talking off air, the one thing I was like, I just kept catching these weird things when I was reading it. So I, for some reason, uh, I guess I'm taking the Heiser approach. If it's weird, it's important, but maybe it's not. I'm just weird and looking at weird things. Yeah, you, to kind of take that to an extent, like, weird in what way? Like, yeah. are you weird? Because if you're weird, everything's <laughs> yeah, weird. Yeah, everything's weird. Uh, but the thing that I caught was it said his wife's name was Edna. Edna Mode. Yeah. And uh, not actually Edna <laughs> Mode, just to clarify, <laughs> yeah. that's the Incredibles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but in the Book of Jubilee, his wife's name is Ed Ednai, while it's Methuselah's wife's name is Edna. Um, so I don't really have anything other than presenting that that's there, and I don't know why, but it stood out because uh, when you look at that in Genesis, when it goes to the list of like from Adam. Seth, and then all the... You don't get the women, right? You don't get Edna or Edna? No. So when you're looking at Jubilees versus Enoch, you're telling me that you didn't go into the manuscripts and scan it and get the actual ancient languages and do all the comparison? No, that was way too much work. Me neither. Yeah, but I just thought it was fun. So anyone who's listening and you want to do that, hey, hit us up. Let us know what it Do what all of that work and then get the satisfaction of posting it on our Facebook group. Yes. And saying in your face, guys. 
I was just going to say people, you know, give a like react. Oh, yeah, that yeah. works too. Yeah. Maybe even the heart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then it begins with, a, so 85 begins with uh, a bull who comes out of the ground and a heifer also comes out. We could look at this and be like, is that Adam and Eve? Yeah, Adam and Eve, we got it. So uh, the symbolism, uh, it, it really isn't a hard to like, once you're picking up the rhythm of what's happening yeah. for the next few chapters, you could kind of be like, oh, this is there. There was a few of them where I was like, wait, what now? Uh, but for the most part, I was like, oh, I'm picking up what you're putting down here, you knocking you animals. Honestly, reading through the first time, just kind of like with that first vision, mm-hmm. where I was like, oh, that's the flood. Like mm-hmm. it really took me and like, oh, that's a flood. Reading through this until I got to the part of Genesis where I was kind of more familiar, like, oh, you're talking about 12 and there's a thing. I'm yeah. like, oh, and I go, oh, this is Genesis. Let me go back and mm-hmm. read it and get it from that perspective. Because really when it is talking and it starts bringing it out that you have um, these two cows come out in the different colors and then there's like these other cows coming from them and then one of them starts like just goring the other one. I didn't get, oh, that's Cain and Abel. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, but once you, like you said, when you get that rhythm, like, all right, well, let me pull up Genesis and l- let me pull up this vision and let me track with it to see what's the similarities and what's getting brought out here. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting because even within this, bringing up Cain and Abel, it seems like that is the revelation, so to speak, mm-hmm. of like, oh no, here's a sin issue that's happening. It mm-hmm. doesn't really, in this thing of the animals, look at anything really happening with Adam and Eve. Yeah, there's no Genesis 3. Yeah, there is no Adam and Eve cow fall. Mm-hmm. There's just the Cain and Abel cow impaling. And, and it's very specific uh, that they have two bulls. Uh, one is black and the other one is red. Mm-hmm. And even like you said, when you're reading it the first time, it's probably until you catch what's being put down. I'm completely, I did not catch it. You're not going to really catch it. But once you get what they're putting down, you're like, oh, wait, black. Oh, red. Cain is the black bull and Abel is the red one because of the blood that's being spilled. And uh, for Cain, it's the, um, uh, it's the evil and the sin that's inside of him that's doing that. Uh, what you're saying, too, is uh, I have this from Nickelberg's commentary on it. He says, the portrayal of humanity as only one animal species also permits a literally black and white contrast between evil Canaanite and good Sethiite line. Uh, different from Genesis, here the first sin is Cain's murder of Abel rather than the act of disobedience by uh, his parents. The vision will continue to highlight humans' acts of violence in major departure from Genesis. The author identifies the descent of the Watchers as the chief uh, source of evil. So... Uh, you know, what he's saying is that like what, what you basically just said, but in bigger words is, mm-hmm. yeah, you don't get that. And the other thing I found interesting was the symbolism of bulls. Mm-hmm. Like why, why bulls? Uh, because as we'll get through it into it more, you see that it changes into That's sheep. Different animals. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I found this interesting. It said that, uh, so the bull symbolism, especially since the Bible usually references God's people as sheep. Uh, it could be a symbolic, uh, a symbolism of strength, or the symbol uh, may suggest the long lives of the patriarchs who lived hundreds of years, 800 or 900. Uh, and then in Enoch's vision, the la- Isaac is the last bull, and uh, he uh, lived 180 years, according to Jubilees. So maybe it's it's that, which I thought it was interesting that there was two different, like as soon as Isaac, and then it's after Isaac, it flips. It's no longer bulls and then eventually gets into the sheep. Yeah, and even there, and I know we're kind of taking it out of order, but it's not that all of humanity is only bulls and sheep because then you get all of these other animals mm-hmm. as well, um, which I think I was reading off. I, yeah, I read off a list of them if, at, the at the beginning, beginning of the episode. Yeah. I was talking about all these predatory animals mm-hmm. and all these birds, right? And really looking at those as those being like the Gentile nations, Mm-hmm. Right, so you're looking at this whole uh, smorgasbord of animals that's going on here, and yeah, again, it's symbolism. So to pay attention to, like you said, well, why bulls? Well, why sheep? Well, why these other animals? And like they're right, and to study into it, and it takes some time. And I'm glad that there are people like Nicholsberg and Heiser and others and yeah. Stephen DeYoung. That I'm just like, cool. Someone understands what's going on, so I get to do the thing of go to someone who understands we've gone through and spent some time and now you get the cliff notes. Yeah, he gets <laughs> the, we try and give you some understanding. A very simple explanation of it all. Um, there's another small difference in First Enoch 85 uh, that it mentions Eve mourning for Abel. Yeah. And uh, that, that caught me of... It makes sense. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because he, he was saying that Enoch, right? Because he went around looking and he couldn't find the red calf anywhere. Yeah. And then finally the other white one has showed up and was mourning. He's mm-hmm. like, so, I, you know, I comforted her. Yeah. Yeah. I read this too. It said, in the Apocalypse of Moses, Eve dreams of Abel's murder. Uh, Adam and Eve find Abel slaying. They grieve for him. Yeah. And then after she stopped crying, she bore another white cow, which would be Seth. Mm-hmm. And different translations have different things. Like mine, one of my translations that I have open says, and then she bore two snow white cows. And then it's the footnote on it that says another snow white cow and it's just weird that again manuscript differences on stuff Mm -hmm. i'm not sure what that is but following that we know that there was only seth why would you prefer two and then put the footnote as one so again just for anybody that's getting into these things read the footnotes because just like we talked about earlier with uh, all the different angel names i'm like Mm -hmm. oh that's weird that yours has two names whereas mine only has one for that and then there's later on here when it's talking about something um like there's numbering where it's like, oh, there's one and three with them. And then I yeah. look at the footnote and it's like, no, there's four with three with them. I'm like, well, that's a difference between four and seven. And like one of them makes more sense as you look through it. So again, ancient documents, footnotes, different things. It's already confusing, but it might <laughs> help it to be yeah. less confusing because depending on what you're reading, you might go, wait, how does that fit into the story? And then you read the footnote and you're like, oh, that fits better. Yeah, I like the the, I don't even know what, translation i have in this massive book of apocryphal literature uh the literal standard version i like the way it puts a lot of things mm-hmm. i also when i cross-reference the other one that's in the the lagos program I, I sometimes feel like oh but it missed something or like it oversimplified a term or it changed it, it, it it's just like what we do with yeah, bible translations yeah. right we're like oh new living is really easy to read mm-hmm. like, mm, that doesn't seem right and then yeah. you jump into something like oh i get it now yeah and i guess what we're trying to say is like even with this, the same we would do with reading our Bible, cross-reference. So what you're telling me is that study is different than reading. Yes. Right? And that's a really big thing, just because we're studying the book of Enoch, but just like, even Bible study, if you just read the thing and go, okay, I thought about it, that's not actual Bible study. Bible study takes work and can take tools and can take thinking and to take other minds and different people and discussion. So highly recommend it. That's how you advance in the thing. Yes. Take the time. Take the it time. It takes effort. Yeah. A lot of time treasure isn't just on the top of the ground. You need to dig. Mm-hmm. And it's worth digging. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the white bull suggests his purity. Mm-hmm. So any white bull coming out is purity. Uh, Abel's red color is uh, symbolic of his blood or maybe his bloody sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And then Cain's black. I think I covered it a little bit, but I didn't really get into yeah. it. Well, when you're looking at Cain being black and then Seth coming and being white, then that's really showing the like, okay, off with Evil. the sin, doing that. Yeah. And even where it says that, oh, that black one went off and had a bunch of other bulls. And mm-hmm. I think what we talked about that in our Cain episode, right? Mm-hmm. When we talk about it, it was like Cain, and then if you follow his line, <laughs> like there's all kinds of crazy. Yeah. Did we yeah, talk about yeah. that? I don't episode? know if we talked about it on the Cain episode. About it somewhere. But we've talked about it. Uh, I don't think we were really diving that deep into things when we were going through Cain. But at at some point, well, I wasn't. Uh, but at some point, you know, we 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 have covered yeah. Cain's line and what it represents. Um, but yeah, it's it's the foreshadowing, and then we get into eighty six, and chapter eighty six is fun because uh, there is a star that falls from heaven, and so knowing the star star imagery, we can see this is an angel or a heavenly being. Um, so this is what's crazy because some have suggested that this star is Azazel. Um, and that he was the first angel to come down. And uh, we've read that in Enoch, first Enoch 10, 8, uh, the one responsible for all the sins. So he was the, the crazy one who just went more nuts than everyone else. Um, but then when I was reading what Father Stephen DeYoung said, he, he seems to think of this star as the devil. Mm-hmm. Because the one that actually came down first, if you're looking in the garden, mm-hmm. right? It was the serpent. Yeah. yeah. So the serpent's already there. And then to put another thing into that is even though Azazel gets highlighted, if you go back to read the Book of the Watchers, go back a few episodes, is that it's Semiaza is the chief. Yeah, he's the head guy. So it's just like, there are options. Yeah. <laughs> you know <what laughs> there I, are possibilities. You, you yeah. know that that's there. And um, I don't know if you actually came to a further conclusion, because I was going through that as well. I'm like, all right, who is this first one that came down? Because at first I went, oh, it's Azazel. And I was like, wait, that's not right. Because I went, Semiaza, he was the one that really led the thing. It's like, wait, no, 
Yeah, there's something that happened before that. So where I came to the conclusion was, uh, like we saw, there are many comparisons between the devil and Azazel. So I landed nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> For the sake of it, I was like, I both are are interesting in who this this one was. But the one thing I did notice was that uh, the first watcher lived among the human beings as if he was a human being. Like mm-hmm. that's in there. I can't remember what verse it was. It might be the first one. Um. Oh, it's right here. Yeah, it is verse one. Uh, and again, I saw with my eyes as I slept and I saw the heaven above and behold, a star fell from heaven and it arose and ate and pastured among the oxen. So it was living among them, not not necessarily uh, as one of them, but living among them as if he was one. Well, see, being amongst doesn't imply that he was like one. Because if you even think about uh, the serpent in the garden, and we've talked about several times, it's like, Adam and Eve weren't freaked out like, ah, where'd this thing come from? Mm-hmm. They were used to like, oh yeah, it's, you know, one of the creatures and, you know, that's there. So I could even understand like they weren't thinking, oh, this serpent is like one of us, but it was still able to like yeah, habitate, yeah, yeah. habitate with them. But that was... again, different things happening, but there is later on that the ones that come down, because there's that first mm-hmm. star that come down, but then with that more stars come down mm-hmm. and it's saying that those stars come down become like cows among those calves and then expletive expletive uh censorship censorship um things happen (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if expletive is the right thing there um it just describes some things it's a very graphic depiction of horse genitals (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's the way to put it yeah i mean that's it's there and you also see it in ezekiel ezekiel 23 20 has it uh but yeah it's a they came and they were living among them this is uh, from the Testament of Reuben uh, mm. on that part. And it says, just to remember is that Reuben being one of the 12 mm-hmm. sons right, of so Israel. I, I think this is pulled from the Testament of the 12, like a bigger collection yeah, of a I book. Think so. uh, but he says, for it was thus that they charmed the watchers, speaking of the women uh, who were before the flood, as they continued looking at the women, they were filled with desire for them and perpetuated the act in their mind then they were transformed into human males and while the women were cohabitating with their husbands they appeared to them since the women's minds were filled with lust for them uh, they gave birth to giants for the watchers were disclosed to them as beings as high as the heavens so uh he uh, in the testament of reuben it's it's written out that they were um the, it was the women who, like, kind of in a way seduced them, and then the watchers were like, oh, we need to be a part of that. Yeah, you see it going both ways, because mm-hmm. when you take the different narratives that are all coming, right, is mm-hmm. that you have the watchers looking at the daughters of men saying, oh, they look good. Mm-hmm. And then you have here, and it's even bringing, like, oh, the women knew that these beings were, like, high heavenly beings. And you can see things playing out just like, oh. Yeah. Well, that seems like a good thing. You're interested in me, right? Mm-hmm. So seeing it all work together. Uh, there's one other thing. I, I want to backtrack real quick to verse 2 because uh, there seems to be some debate uh, that this black bull, mm-hmm. uh, now as an adult oxen, uh, that it alludes to the tradition about the intermarriage of the Sethinites and the Canaanites, so the great cattle and the, the black cattle. Uh, but it's also the idea that the black bull is Cain. Um, so like it could be Cain, uh, and that the star, uh, kind of influenced it. So this first fallen, uh, being influenced him. Uh, so that would line up with first John three twelve that says, do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother and why he murdered him because his own actions were evil. Uh, so like this, it's almost like the notion of that, like this, uh, the star, whichever first fallen star was had an influence on him and almost like in a sense, uh, I don't know if I want to use the word possessed, but uh, goaded him in to well, the murder of Abel. That's what it says right in Genesis where it says like sin is crouching. and mm. Yeah. Yeah. And we've even looked at, uh, oh, this is even more interesting with the concept of sin actually being a being mm-hmm. and not so much of the, the actions that we do, but a being that's influencing us. After hours. After hours. Yeah. So the women and the... <laughs> 
and the horse genital angels. That's not why I was saying after hours. Thank you, Bert. I was just meaning that you're bringing in all these <laughs> concepts that are kind of out there. I'm like, yeah, that can happen on an after hour yeah. show. But uh, you had to bring it back to uh, they give birth to other animals. Yeah, so then they're giving birth to uh, elephants and camels and donkeys, right? Mm-hmm. And I know that some of the manuscripts, maybe it's this part or later on, I think that it might omit camels, so it's just elephants and donkeys. But I think in, the, in this one, did yours originally have elephants, camels, and donkeys for that? Yeah. Race? Yeah. I think later on when they're mentioned again, it's just two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, th- that might be some of them Nephilim, huh? Yeah, did you get that? Did yeah. you, f- you see the the Aramaic word translation? No, I was just following the story, and that's what made oh, sense. Oh, yeah, that is you have, sense. Right, yeah. You have the cows, and you have these come yeah, in, and all of a sudden these yeah, different yeah, creatures. True, so I was yeah. like, what would these different creatures be? The if, Nephilim. Right, yeah, if you yeah. have these stars that are becoming cows that mm-hmm. are having cows, like, then where do elephants come from? Like, well, that seems like it would be Nephilim. So but we're talking about Aramaic. Yeah, this was interesting, and I, I might botch up some of these pronunciations, but after hours. Let's have fun. Uh, uh I want to say Philin, uh, but it's P-I-L-I-N with little things over the eyes. Uh, that's elephants, which would equal Nephilim. Uh, Gamelin is camels, uh, and that could also be translated to Gaborian. Uh, which Gabor is also another thing to do with giant. Yeah. And then... Uh, Aradonian, which is the donkeys, uh, would equal uh, Eliod. I don't know how to pronounce that one. It was E-L-I-O-U-D. Uh, but if you combine kind of the concepts of all of these words, it is Nephilim, giants, and, and that. So like using these references um, is pretty, pretty savvy of the author of who's writing this, of like using these three specific animals. Uh there's just so much that gets lost, even when you translate and you're translating faithfully, because there's something that happens in original languages that are like wordplay like that, mm-hmm. to where just like, it just gets lost. Because what are you going to do? You're going to, you have the choice of like translating. Do you translate it to give what the word is? Do you translate it to give like, here's kind of what they're doing here. And then you get something like maybe the amplified translation that's trying to do both. It's like, here's the words. We're going to bracket off some extra information <laughs> for you. And it's like, it's hard. Yeah. Like, translation is hard. And even, yeah, sentence structure and all the stuff on how you place the words and how everything goes. I think we've mentioned different things like that on the podcast of just like, oh, if you look at the first letters of everything when it's lined up, it actually like does a thing. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole nother level of study is to get into. Yeah. And, and you brought up Aramaic and it's like only very little of our Bible is in Aramaic. Mm-hmm. Like there's very few sections. It's mostly Hebrew and Greek. Like there's a couple Aramaic spots, but very little. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm glad that other people know and we can read their yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cause those smart people let me know. And But that is pretty cool. I didn't come across that actually. So yeah, I, I really thought that the, you know, when we're using symbolism, that symbolism uh, sometimes we're just looking at like, oh, they just pick these animals, maybe because they're big, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's what know. I thought with the elephant at first. Yeah, I was like, elephant... camels are kind of big, I guess, but yeah. are they that much bigger than cows? Camels are pretty big, yeah. But I don't know if they're bigger than cows. Well, yeah, they are. I mean, they yeah, are, but they're like taller, yeah, uh, for sure. But donkeys aren't much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it seemed like it was getting. But less they're and less. wild. <laughs> wild asses. <laughs> yes, uh, but uh, you know that the yeah that that's kind of what I thought at first, and then when I was reading it, it. That stood out to me, and I was like, oh, that's an interesting little nugget, and I want to just share that with everybody. So uh, we're at an hour on this episode. I'm going to finish this chapter, and then we can do something. All right. I just have there's a couple verses there. So like, all right, so these elephants mm-hmm. come out. It says, the cattle became fearful and frightened of them and began to bite with their teeth and to swallow and to gore them with their horns. So they're, again, the cattle are the humans. They're like, whoa, what's going on here? We're, they're basically war battles going on they're fighting with them now and then it turns around says then they began to eat those cows and and behold all the children of the earth began to tremble and to shake before them and to flee from them so again this is a lot of what you get in simple second temple period literature and things that come from that is that when you see these interactions with the nephilim coming down and then what was happening with men at the time and the warring that happened and basically the nephilim were like overpowering using all the resources doing all the stuff and that's when it's just like oh, now the humans are going, this is bad. Mm-hmm. Which is different than, again, Genesis 6, just saying, well, the humans did what they wanted, and then God wiped them out. 
Mm-hmm. Like there was a narrative that was going yeah, on. Yeah, and we see this in in the Book of the Watchers mm-hmm. is where they they it was almost like they were enjoying a season of uh, what the Watchers were giving yeah. them. Oh, you're teaching us all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's like, oh, and then it went south really bad. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, consequences is probably the best word to use there. No, really, yeah. it's that thing of just like. If you want to get into stuff that you shouldn't be getting into, you don't get to pick the consequences. Mm. And you can think that it's worth it. Or just like, no, we're learning all of this technology and all this stuff. This is good, right? And then you have Nephilim taking over everything. He's like, oh, we were supporting this thing that's now destroying us. And it's like, that's pretty much what sin does. You're going to support the sin. You think it's worth it. And then it destroys you. It's like that uh, phony TikTok video going out there where the chat GPT says it's a Nephilim. I honestly, when I saw that, I went in and I tried it, and it was just like, I'm a language model. Yeah. I'm not that. And I'm just like, I think I typed into ChatGPT, that sounds like something a Nephilim would say. <laughs> what are you really? And it's just like, it didn't say this. It was like, nah, dude, you need to chill. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that'd be funny if it did say, nah, dude, you need to chill. Uh, but it is a real big thing of like, uh, I guess, kind of, not, not to sum up the episode, but just for this portion of, uh, we do get a lot of things that we're like, oh, this would be really great. But we don't understand the consequences of what eventually does happen. And I feel like uh, for one of them, social media, just with our generation, has been that thing. You know, it was such a good thing that we got to connect with people that we don't see all the time or friends that live across the country or or family that live in another country, right? Uh, but then you all of a sudden get the the influencers and these other people coming in and it's about uh, you got to show your best part of life and everyone's life looks better than mine and then this envy creates out of it or it's just more of a everything is so online that we're no longer connected. Uh, I think it's uh, Kerry Newhoff in his book mentions that like we're so connected but we're disconnected now. Um, That's just false connection. Yeah. And so it's just interesting that like, yeah, like you said, the, the thing that seems good but we don't understand the consequences until way later. And it, this is what they were dealing with. Like, yeah, they're presenting a, all this stuff. And look at where our civilization is advancing in the cities and everything and how they're, they're, they're going. And then it was like, oh, no, now these, these giants are turning on us because they're no longer satisfied with what they have. And, and they've turned on us. And it's, yeah, then it's trembling in fear. And like you said, that's been an hour so. Uh... Yeah. To, to quote one of these great cows towards one of the wolves, let my people go. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. I am Chris. I'm your the. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. <laughs>